Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the German family murders. But first, your true crime headlines. In Fort Myers, Florida, a teen facing charges in connections with the death of a New Jersey man was arrested again in Florida after a driver told authorities that he was assaulted by him. Troopers arrested 18-year-old Zachary Thomas Latham Saturday evening after a driver requesting assistance in Fort Myers waved down a trooper and said someone in a Nissan Infiniti confronted him and brandished a gun, the Florida Highway Patrol said in a statement. Latham, they said, also had attempted to intentionally ram the victim's car. Troopers found the teen in the Nissan and discovered a BB gun that resembled an AK-47, they said. He was booked into county jail on two counts of aggravated assault and released Monday on $40,000 bond. At his court appearance that day, Latham was ordered to have no contact with the victim, to be fitted with a GPS monitor, and surrender all of his weapons. The recent arrest adds to the charges Latham is already facing in New Jersey. In May, he was charged with manslaughter for the death of William Durham Sr., one of his neighbors while he lived with his grandparents in Vineland, about 40 miles south of Philadelphia. The New York Times reported that there were ongoing tensions between Durham's family and Latham over the teen's driving. After a confrontation between Latham Durham and their wives on May 4th, Durham's two sons, age 17 and 21, went to Latham's house, prompting another confrontation on Latham's driveway. That's when authorities say Latham stabbed Durham, a corrections officer, multiple times with a knife. The victim's wife, Catherine Durham, and her sons were also charged with assault and trespass in connection with the incident. Prosecutors did not say who started the fight. Latham's attorney, Nathan Perry, says that his client acted in self-defense. But attorneys representing the Durham family claim Latham and his wife lured the family into the fight for social media fame. They allege that Latham's wife, Sarah, recorded the brawl so that they could, quote, become TikTok famous. Another confrontation between Latham and Catherine Durham had garnered 3 million TikTok views. Latham's trial date in Florida has been scheduled for February 22nd. Detectives have opened a homicide investigation into the death of an infant who was found near a waste management facility in Paris, California last week and are searching for the owner of a backpack left nearby. Deputies responding to reports of a dead body found the infant left in the trash at CR&R Environmental Services, a waste and recycling collection company. The black backpack was discovered near where the child was found. The bag was decorated with what appeared to be a white or gray hand-drawn design resembling a moon and a sun. Homicide investigators became involved with the case after an autopsy determined that the baby was alive at birth rather than stillborn, according to Riverside County Sheriff's officials. 
they are working to identify and locate the mother of the child. On Tuesday, Mexican authorities announced the arrest of a suspect in the slayings of two San Diego retirees whose bodies were found dumped in a well in Baja, California last summer. 78-year-old Ian Hershon and 73-year-old Kathy Harvey were stabbed to death, likely in late August, while asleep in bed at Hershon's longtime vacation home in El Socorrito, a tiny beach town about 130 miles south of Ensenada. The family reported the couple missing on September 2nd, and investigators discovered their bodies September 5th. Investigators from the Baja California Attorney General's office arrested the suspected killer last week. He was identified only by his first name and one initial, Emmanuel N., as is customary in Mexican criminal cases. Prosecutors said that the killer stabbed the victims inside the home, loaded their bodies into Hershon's Toyota Land Cruiser, and drove about four miles to the well to discard them. Hershon's daughter identified the suspect as a member of the family that owned a ranch near where her father's vacation home was located. She said that her father knew the family well, including the suspected killer. Authorities arrested a suspect Wednesday in connection to an apartment fire in early January that left a California woman dead. On January 6th, Sacramento Fire Department crews battled a fire at an apartment complex on Summer Park Drive. Firefighters were called to the complex just after 4 p.m. According to Sacramento Fire Captain Keith Wade, flames were coming from a unit on the first floor and the apartment above. The fire was extinguished just before 5 p.m. As they searched the downstairs apartment, firefighters found a victim who was later pronounced dead at the scene. The Sacramento Police Department announced Wednesday that the victim was a woman, and her death has been ruled a homicide. The name of the woman who died has not been reported. Detectives said they identified 31-year-old Harold Fowler as a suspect and believed the victim knew Fowler prior to her death. Fowler has been booked at the Sacramento County Main Jail on homicide and arson charges. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the Germond family murders. But first, a quick break. My cat is my best friend. And these days, we've been spending a lot more time at home together. And as much as I love my cat, I'm not fond of the stink bombs that she leaves in her litter box. Everything from cleaning to covering up the smell is a constant battle. That's why I use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter is kitty litter reinvented. Unlike traditional litter, Pretty Litter's super light crystals trap odor and release moisture, resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that doesn't smell. And Pretty Litter is virtually dust-free, because it's manufactured with a specialized de-dusting process. Less dust, no fuss. Pretty Litter arrives safely at my door in a small, lightweight bag that lasts up to a month. Perfect while we're social distancing. Now that I get litter bags auto-shipped, 
I don't have to deal with last-minute trips to the store. And shipping is free. But above all else, there's one reason that Pretty Litter is this pet parent's hero. It's a health indicator. Pretty Litter monitors my fur baby's health by changing colors when it detects a potential underlying health issue. You won't find that kind of innovation in conventional litter. Get the world's smartest litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use the promo code MURDERMINUTE for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com promo code MURDERMINUTE for 20% off. What are you waiting for? Get it right meow at prettylitter.com promo code MURDERMINUTE. Keeping your body in shape is important, but it's also important to keep your mind sharp. I've been leveling up my focus with Word Forest. Word Forest is my new favorite game. It's a word puzzle app made for word search addicts like me, and it's free. Word Forest has over 2,000 levels, so you never get bored. Connect letters in any direction to form hidden word matches. Find as many words as possible to earn bonus coins and uncover hidden words. The game starts easy but gets more challenging as you get better. Word Forest is a fun way to keep your mind sharp and grow your vocabulary. Put yourself to the test in this fun and addicting brain game. Right now, Word Forest is offering you 2,500 coins and 500 gems when you download and play. So the next time you find yourself mindlessly scrolling through social media, download WordForest instead. Just go to the Apple or Google Store and search for WordForest. Download WordForest for free today and get ready to flex your brain muscles. Welcome back to Murder Minute. On Wednesday, November 27th, 1930, the day before Thanksgiving, 18-year-old Bernice Germond stepped off the bus at her family's dairy farm near Stanfordville, New York. Bernice was coming home for the holiday from Poughkeepsie, where she was attending school. By the time she exited the bus at 5.20 p.m., the sun had gone down. Bernice wished the driver a happy Thanksgiving and as she left, remarked that her parents' house looked dark, as if no one was home. It was the last time she was seen alive. On Thanksgiving Day, Bernice's father, James Husted Germond, failed to make his milk delivery to the Borden Dairy Company Creamery. At first, they thought Husted was finally taking a holiday, But when Friday came and he again failed to deliver, employees at the creamery began to worry. The superintendent decided to send someone out to check on things. So Willard Coons, a Borden employee, went out to the farm. When Coons arrived just after 9 a.m., the farm was quiet, save for the sound of humming milk machines. Hello, he called out as he walked around the farm. No reply. 
In the barn, he found the cows with swollen udders in need of milking, but no Jermond. Then, Coons walked toward the wagon shed and saw the family's truck parked nearby. Hello? Still no answer. As he swung open the wagon shed door, he saw them. Inside lay 47-year-old James Husted Germond and his 10-year-old son, Raymond. They had been stabbed to death. Coons quickly drove to Paul Germond's farm, shouting, Husted's been murdered! Husted's been murdered! As they ran out, Coons shouted, Raymond, too! What about the girls, Mabel and Bernice? Paul's father-in-law, George Rogers, asked. Coons said he didn't see them. I shouted when I got there, but everything was quiet. Just inside the door of the house, they found the body of 47-year-old Mabel, laying in front of the stove in a pool of frozen blood. Nearby, under the kitchen table, lay 18-year-old Bernice. They, too, had been stabbed to death. Altogether, the Germans had been stabbed 23 times. The Poughkeepsie Eagle called it, quote, Dutchess County's most brutal crime. Before long, the quiet dairy farm was swarming with reporters, police, and neighbors, compromising the crime scene for an already inexperienced local police force who were already short of clues. Reconstructing the scene, police believed that the killer had first knocked at the kitchen door and attacked Mabel. Then they attacked Bernice, who attempted to take cover under the table. One defensive stab wound went through her wrist. Her watch stopped at 6.20 p.m. Then they believed the assailant went outside and found Germond, who had just returned from his brother's farm with a truckload of feed, along with his son, Raymond. They wouldn't have heard the screams in the kitchen because the milk machines were running. Germond was killed in front of the wagon shed. Then Raymond, near a hay wagon as he tried to run away. The killer then took Germond's wallet from his pocket and dragged the bodies inside the wagon shed to conceal them. Police are without a clue to the assailant and unable to establish a motive for the murders, wrote the Associated Press. The time of the killings was fixed by authorities as late afternoon or evening Wednesday. Each of the four had been stabbed over the heart with a blade apparently an inch broad. The blade, a large butcher knife, wouldn't be found until Sunday, when some reporters stumbled upon it by a fence on the farm. Unfortunately, it produced no fingerprints. Investigators traced the knife to a shop where it had been purchased in Poughkeepsie, but the shopkeeper was unable to trace the person who bought it. Investigators were left stabbing in the dark. The Germont family were well established and respected in Dutchess County. James Husted Germont 
was born there in 1884 and married Mabel in 1909. Bernice came along in 1912, Raymond in 1920. The Germans were a decent, hard-working, church-going family with no known enemies. The only motive I can think of is robbery, Paul Germont said. But that doesn't seem likely when you think that Husted had only about $100 on him, and whoever took that money didn't bother to take his good watch or his silver change. You know, Husted wasn't a man of means. I don't think his whole estate amounts to more than $5,000, and most of that goes to mother. There's no friction or anything like that among our kin. Everyone's on friendly terms with all the others. Some locals pointed the finger at an outsider, a foreigner, who had passed through town and was allegedly seen near the dairy farm. A man called Florentine Chase, or Florentine Fermendi. The man hired a car and then took a train to New York City the night of the murder where police later picked him up in a Brooklyn pool hall. Florentine was dragged back upstate to Dutchess County, but released after none of the witnesses who claimed to see him near the farm could pick him out of a lineup. The German's neighbor, Arthur Curry, who was a barber as well as a farmer, suggested his own theory about Bernice. When I cut her hair a few days ago, said Curry, she told me she had a boyfriend she hoped to land over at that business school. Curry suggested that the murderer might be someone who was jealous. But school authorities told investigators that Bernice was shy and reserved. They had seen no evidence of a boyfriend or that she had shown romantic interest in any of the male students. Other leads that went nowhere included disgruntled hunters who had been fined after being caught hunting near the farm, a man who rode the bus with Bernice, and Spanish laborers doing road work nearby. All of them dead ends. Two weeks after the killings, German's wallet was found discarded in a culvert. The motive had to be robbery, said Fred Close, special investigator with the Sheriff's Department, to the Poughkeepsie Journal. The killer knew Germont had money on him. He had cashed a check given to him by the creamery in payment for milk from his dairy cows. About $90 would have been left of $150. He got the money and made some purchases a day or two before he died. When his wallet was recovered, the money was out of it, never found. In December, the Germond family was laid to rest. Their case had made headlines across the country, but authorities were no closer to charging a suspect. The Dutchess County Board of Supervisors offered a $20,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the killer. But the case was going cold. The following year, then-Governor and future president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, stepped in. He called for a new investigation 
into the Dumont murders at the behest of several prominent local residents who were dissatisfied with the handling of the case. Roosevelt ordered the state's attorney general take over the investigation. Dutchess County District Attorney John R. Schwartz, a Republican running for re-election, charged that Roosevelt's move was, quote, political insignificance. The chairman of the county Republicans called Roosevelt's decision, quote, mean and picayune politics and merely a move to get votes. Schwartz was re-elected. It wasn't until February of 1933, more than two years after the murders, that a new suspect would come to light. The Germans' neighbor, 56-year-old Arthur Curry. Sheriff Oakley Cokingham learned that Curry had a violent history. Curry had once served time for assault and was possibly a small-time bootlegger. Rumor had it that there had been disagreements between the two neighbors. Then investigators learned that on the day of the murders, Curry had told his wife that he was going to see Husted about some money he was owed. $30 annual rental for pasture land that Germond had leased from him. At the time, Curry told investigators that he returned home around 6.30 p.m., within the time frame of when the murders took place. He later told his wife that he'd seen Husted just before he was killed, but hadn't been able to collect what he was owed, adding, quote, and now we'll probably have to wait until after the Germond estate is settled. On February 15, 1933, Mr. and Mrs. Curry and their nine-year-old daughter Betty were brought in for questioning. Three days later, Curry was arrested, and on March 9, 1933, he was charged with murder. On April 3rd, Curry and his lawyer Paul Rosen appeared before Supreme Court Justice William F. Bleakley for a hearing on a writ of habeas corpus. Did you form any opinion as to motive? The justice asked Sheriff Cookingham. Cookingham told the judge that he believed the incident began with a quarrel over hunting rights. Our investigation shows that the murders were the acts of a quick-tempered man after an argument, he replied. But the case was weak and circumstantial. The Poughkeepsie shopkeeper whose store was the source of the murder weapon testified that he was positive that he hadn't sold the knife to any member of the Curry family. Curry's defense lawyer requested a dismissal of the case for lack of evidence. The judge agreed. This case is lacking not only motive, but proof, he admonished. There are none of the attendant circumstances that usually occur in this type of crime. There are no admissions on the part of the defendant. Even if there were a confession, there is nothing to corroborate it. A lot of men would not be safe if we could go on evidence such as this. The judge dismissed the charges and ordered Curry released. From various things I have heard, District Attorney Schwartz commented, I am convinced 
that the explanation for the mystery is in the girl's life. I am led to believe that she went around with young men, unknown to her parents, and I think if we could reconstruct the history of her life, we might get to a solution to this crime. They did not. No other arrests were ever made. Arthur Curry died in 1955, and the case remains unsolved today. In 2013, a forensics analyst named Vincent P. Cookingham re-examined the evidence in the case. And while he disagreed with much of the interpretation of the evidence at the time, he too concluded that Curry was the most likely culprit. Quote, It is my professional view that the strongest body of circumstantial and even forensic evidence indicates that Mr. Curry was the most probable assailant. He also had proximity to avoid detection with blood that must have covered large parts of his clothing, hands, and shoes. I believe that Sheriff Cookingham's instincts were accurate, but he was far too hasty. There was not enough evidence to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. The judge was right to dismiss the charges. I don't want to sound unfair to law enforcement at the time, but this was one of the worst handled cases that I've ever looked into. It did get somewhat better in 1933 when Sheriff Cookingham took over, but he was not without professional fault. I guess it takes one Cookingham to evaluate another Cookingham. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Stereo at Murder Minute.